Planescape Torment, the unofficial audio series. A narrative let's play adapted and produced by Revoke GM. Combining in-game audio with additional voice acting through dialogue and descriptions to improve your listening experience. Rediscover the amazing story of the 1999 cult classic isometric video game, Planescape Torment, like you've never heard before. You pass under the great arches of the Primer's Gate and walk towards the smouldering corpse bar. The starved dog Sevtai has set you on should be nearby, though you feel such a task is more suited to the darker hours of Sigil. And so, head for a little respite, and perhaps wait for news from Kendrian. Once again, the blast of heat overwhelms you as you enter the smouldering corpse, though it is quieter here than last time. Barkis saunters over as you lean against the bar. Oh, I was worried Eb's flowing words may have driven you off for good, Carter. What, what can I get you? Dakon. Anything particular you like? His eyes flicker momentarily, and his face relaxes its usual stoic expression. A bottle of the mint wine, please. And two glasses, Barkis. <clears throat> Mort clears his throat. All three of you look to him in unison. Oh, oh whatever, just nice to be involved at me now and then. <laughs> One moment. As Barkis goes to fetch the bottle, a short elven woman sidles over to the bar and leans next to you. A cloud of smoke trails behind her as she smears the end of a thick cigar straight into the bar top. Her deep brown eyes are sunken and her arms are covered in fading bruises. A look of despair is etched into her ageless features. She turns slowly to face you and life pours out from this person as if there's nothing they have not seen nor done. And a spark of sardonic light dances in her eyes, drawing you in. Welcome to the smoldering corpse, Guardman. Buy a gal a drink? Uh, sure. Who are you? I... I am Drusilla. And you must be clueless. Don't ask me how I know that. It just shines off you. <laughs> shines. Right. Drusilla. Barkis said you're the one to ask about that creature burning in the entranceway. That despair you saw in her face before flits across it again like a black-winged shadow before she masters herself. That creature is Ignis. One of the greatest wizards ever to come out of this slummy excuse for a cesspool... They caught him, and they opened a channel to the plane of fire through him. And now he's just a doorway for it, keeping himself alive by force of will alone. If someone could just douse him for, for a few moments, it'd give him his life back again, but they don't make enough water to do that. What's your connection to him? Here you got Barkis returns with a bottle of the mint wine and sets glasses out for all of you, including Drusilla. Immediately, she pours herself a glass of the pale green liquid and takes a long, slow sip. <coughs> I was Ignis's lover. <laughs> we both loved the flame. 
though he loved it more than I did. <laughs> but now I watch his beauty as he writhes in the heart of the fire. And I, Drusilla, love them equally. Hmm. Someone should be able to find something. Some way to douse him, as you say. I <laughs> traveler. He's imprisoned in this place. Cruelly bound here in this fiery torment. I hate this place. So, what is it you seek? I... Well, I'm looking for a journal, I suppose. Would you happen to have seen it? A, a journal? Oh, 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 sure. Yeah, I've kept an eye out for all stray journals, just in case some scarred man walks into my favorite bar and starts asking about it. <laughs> Do you ask that of everyone you meet? Oh, what a fascinating life. Far more so than yours, I'd wager. Oh, is that so? Uh, have you been in love with a living flame? Have you ever wanted to vanish utterly into the arms of another to lose yourself in the heat of passion? Your eyes tell me that you wish you had, but you've had no luck. Don't talk to me about fascinating. Scars ain't fascinating. Fights ain't fascinating. Tough ain't fascinating. You ain't fascinating. Where should I start? I'm immortal. I lose my memory every time I die. I have a floating skull for a sidekick. I'm having experiences that would make most mortals screen their souls out through their eyeballs. And you're telling me that being in love with a fire is fascinating. That, that's not fascinating. That's just insane. She recoils suddenly and looks at you more closely. Excitement creeps into her voice. You're, you're him, aren't you? You're him! What do you mean? He said you'd come. He, he said you're the one who'll set him free. He spoke to me in a dream and told me that you'd come with an ocean of water to balance him so he could burn across the plains. F free him. Please, save him. You're totally over the edge. Farewell. Her words strike at your heart and make you feel incredibly uneasy. Surely there's no truth to it. You grab the bottle and find a table. Sidekick, eh? Sorry. No, no. I, I'm just glad you didn't say familiar. Well... It's, it's, it's just a big rat hive in the eyes of the plain boy. What do you mean? Do you think any of the powers really find this important? What does that have to do with Sigil? This is a place humans feel important. We're insignificant what? in the grand scheme. Uh, We're rats. No, no, you are a rat. The planes let you be as big as you want. Obviously, you don't want to be. Uh, I, I don't know why I bother talking to you. Neither do I. The pair on the table next to you are clearly in the heat of an argument. One has a look of wonder and slight disbelief etched across her face. When she catches you eavesdropping, she snaps her attention over to you. Do you need something? What do you want, Cutter? Uh, my apologies. I, I couldn't help but overhear. What was that you two were saying about Sigil? Ah, my cousin has recently come here from her backwater prime world. Uh -huh. She labors under this delusion that this is the center of the multiverse, and she thinks it's somehow important. Okay. So this isn't the center of the multiverse, despite it being located smack in the middle of the Outlands. 
Despite it being the focal point of portals from all over the cosmos, there isn't a known place with more. Despite all the quarreling the gods do over it, despite the sheer variety and concentration of power that accumulates here, there is no place like this in the cosmos, and she's telling me it's nothing special. Ha! I've lived here my whole life. I know otherwise. It's a place the powers and plainborn overlook, uh. just as humans overlook the squirrels in their city parks. It, it's not important. And the sooner people come to realize they're not important, the better off they'll be. Perhaps you both have elements of truth. Perhaps you're correct, but I find such relativism is often beyond me. Either the place is important, or it is not. Paradox may fuel the planes, but there must be sense to it somehow. I hope so. Who are you both? Ah, I'm Kiaris. Kiaris Thorntongue. I'm here with my cousin because my uncle doesn't want me wandering the hive on my own. Our uncle, a renowned wizard, brought her here to expand her horizons. And he doesn't seem to think I'm competent on my own. (sighs) He may be right, though. I don't know this city or this plane very well. You're from the Prime. Visiting. The Prime is a fine place to live, but it's a little too... real, I suppose. My uncle gives each of his nieces and nephews a few years in the plains and allows us to remain here if we so desire. I think I might so desire. I am fascinated and repelled. But then I suppose that's the nature of the plains, isn't it? Um, I'm Kalein Iontoes. Before you ask, I got the name because one of my idiot brothers dropped a 40 kilo stone on my feet and crushed my toes. Now I have iron toes, all right? I, I, I live in the ladies' ward with my uncle. It's generally a better class of person there, if I say so myself. Very well. N- none of the riffraff that you see floating around here so much. No, I'd say that coming to this area is definitely slumming. I can't say that I enjoy it, but then I'm told one should experience a wide variety of life's offerings. I'm just about done with this one. Cleon! <laughs> Enough about us. Who are you? <laughs> uh, funny... Uh, That's not a question I can answer all that well. I have forgotten much of my past. In fact, I'm looking for a journal that I hope contains some answers. Amnesia? Fascinating. Curious. It's all right. I suppose it is a little. Sorry. I'm new in town, and I can assure you I haven't seen anything that I'd recognize as a journal... Though I am told that there are cases where something that appears to be a person could, in actuality, be the journal for some other creature. I'm still trying to get my head around the philosophy here. It's a little overwhelming. But they say, if you stick with it, it becomes much easier. Well, that's a relief. I sympathize with your plight. Journals are the very essence of identity. They keep us aware of our past and help us map our futures. I'm in the habit of keeping an up-to-date journal myself, and I find I am a happier person because of it. What can you tell me about this place? From what I can see, it's a dive, where scum mixes with cream to create an entirely unappetizing new flavor. Of course, being from the Prime, my perceptions might be jaundiced. My greenhorn, clueless Prime cousin has been brought here to see some of the sights, smells, and sounds of Sigil's beauties. So far, as you can see, she remains unimpressed. Oh, oh, there's some things of interest. That Ignis there. He attempted to burn down a portion of the city some time back. Centuries? And was punished by being turned into a living flame. 
a nasty fate, but fitting for a known pyromaniac and arsonist. They made him a conduit to the elemental plane of fire, and now he has to writhe there for folks' amusement. Not too amusing, but interesting, so... From what I have read, it'd be best to leave him well alone. If you've just arrived, how do you know so much about the place? Well, I wanted to be sure I was ready for the trip, and so I prepared myself. Extensively. I probably know more about this city than my cousin here, who's lived in this city her entire life. My cousin here is merely showing the arrogance Arrogance? I've come to expect from all primers who venture into this cage of ours. That's... Uh, Look, uh, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted. I should leave you two to it. I told... No, you... You You leave the pair alone as they continue to pick at each other for some time and find a quiet table in the corner of the bar. The mint wine is cloyingly sweet, coating your tongue with an herbaceous syrup. Then, after a few seconds, it dissolves away, leaving your mouth feeling cold and a little numb. Before Darkon takes a sip of his, he unravels a pouch of pipeweed and packs a pinch into a short, stubby pipe carved grimly into the shape of a tentacled head. He proceeds to smoke in silence, occasionally sipping the green liqueur. His glaive rests at his side, the blade swirling gently, like smoke on the surface of a pond. You take out the carved stone of Zerthmon's scriptures, and slide the plates again as Darkon showed you, and a new ring is revealed. Know that flesh cannot mark steel. Know that steel may mark flesh. In knowing this, Zerthmon became free. Know that the tentacled ones were made of flesh. They relied on the flesh and used it as tools for their will. One of the places where flesh served their will was the fields of husks on the false worlds of the Elithids. The fields were where the bodies of the people were cast after the Elithids had consumed their brains. When the brain had been devoured, the husks came to be fertilizer to grow the poison-stemmed grasses of the Elithids. Zerthamon worked the fields with no knowing of himself or what he had become. He was a tool of flesh, and the flesh was content. It was upon these fields that Zerthamon came to know the scripture of steel. During one of the turnings, as Zerthamon tilled the fields with his hands, he came across a husk whose brain remained within it. It had not been used as food, yet it was dead. The thought that one of the husks had died a death without serving as food for the Elithids was a thought Zerthamon had difficulty understanding. From that thought came a desire to know what had happened to the husk. Embedded in the skull of the husk, was a steel blade. It had pierced the bone. Zerthamon realized that was what had killed the husk. The steel had marked the flesh, but the flesh had not marked the steel. Zerthamon took the blade and studied its surface. In it, he saw his reflection. It was in the reflection of the steel that Zerthamon first knew himself. Its edge was sharp, its will the wielders. 
It was the blade that would come to be raised against Gith when Xerthamon made the pronouncement of two skies. Xerthamon kept the blade for many turnings, and many were the thoughts he had about it. He used it in the fields to aid his work. In using it, he thought about how it was not used. The Elithids were powerful. Xerthamon believed that there was nothing that they did not know. Yet the Elithids never carried tools of steel. They only used flesh as tools. Everything was done through flesh, for the tentacled ones were made of flesh, and they knew flesh. Yet steel was superior to flesh. When the blade had killed the husk, it was the flesh that had been weaker than the steel. It was then that Xerthamon came to know that flesh yielded to steel. In knowing that, he came to know that steel was stronger than the Elithids. Steel became the scripture of the people. Know that steel is the scripture by which the people came to know freedom. Thank you for listening to Planescape Torment, the unofficial audio series, a Revoca GM production. To support the show and those involved, please consider subscribing to our Patreon or donating via our Ko-fi page. Links to both are in the description.